1: Yeah, welcome back everybody. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, June 2nd.
0: Ben, it's June. Where did May go? Oh man, May went. May's gone. By the way, I'm really happy to say my guest is already waiting for us on the runway. Do you know I love it when guests show up either on time or early? I'll just give a little hint. Her her nickname on the show is KC. Already has a nickname on the show.
1: I mean, and people could see the name when they go to download it or listen to it. But
0: anyway. Oh, Oh, yeah. Let's just take that out of the podcast. I'll let it. it.
1: I'll let it. Don't worry. I'm
0: sophisticated.
1: I'll edit that out. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, June 2nd. is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors, sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors, as well as the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. What kind of pot to smoke? It's true. They talk about all of this and political columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky and Maya Duke Masova, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. Subscribe and you can become a bin head. That's what we call avid listeners of our program. You can help out the Ben Jarofsky show, become a bin head. You can either be in the alley, the avenue or the boulevard. The choice is yours. Chicago Reader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. And the Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Wednesday, June 2nd, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of Kena Collins. And now your host chicago Reader columnist ben jarofsky
0: yeah hello everybody ben jarofsky here we're calling this gaslit wednesday and here's why i have a confession to make folks i was gaslit yes i ben jarofsky the old man who never gets gaslit by anybody who sees through everything was gaslit the new york times did the dirty deed yes yes the new york times gaslit me i fell for it but first Have you ever noticed that everyone is always a political expert after an election is over and the votes have been counted? Then like you look at the results and say, duh, of course, I knew that outcome was going to happen all the time. This is especially true with reporters. Reporters, you know, I love you dearly, but I'm at that honest stage of life where I pull back the curtain and let everybody see what everybody's doing, including reporters. As I mentioned before about reporters, they have this thing. It's a compulsion. They must be right even when they're wrong. They must know everything even when they don't. If you talk to any reporter in the city of Chicago, make any kind of observation, did you see this in the newspaper? Instinctively, they will say, yes, of course, I knew that. And yes, I saw the article. I knew that. I know everything. There's nothing in the universe that I don't know, even when I don't know it. I know that. Anyway, my beloved reporters can never admit they don't know something. Yesterday's story in the New York Times by a political reporter named Jonathan Martin fits this to a T. It was about the special congressional election in New Mexico to fill the vacancy created when Deb Howland left Congress to take a position as President Biden's Secretary of Interior. The New York Times ran a story about it, the theme of which was... Be worried, Dems. Be very, very worried. Yes, it was a Democratic district, the article said. And yes, Joe Biden won that district by 60 percentage points over Donnie Trump in the 2020 presidential election. But Dems were worried, very, very worried because the Republicans were running a law in order, former football player named Mark Morris. And he was pounding the Democratic candidate, Melanie Stansbury. And I mean, pounding her. And law and order issues she had supported assorted to fund the police measure orders were up in Albuquerque, and so morris added one and one and got two and he began pounding her you're not safe to walk the streets of stansbury's elected oh my god i was reading the articles and i was scared be scared people be very very scared and then so Jonathan Martin took the bait from the New York Times. He said Democrats were scared. Plus, Democrats were sleepy. All they want to do is drink pina coladas and listen to Jimmy Buffett records. Can we just party, Democrats? Okay, he didn't mention the pina colada, the Jimmy Buffett records, but he sort of implied that Democrats were in a partying sort of mood and they want to get down to work. Here's what he wrote. <clears throat> Quote, Senior party officials acknowledge that Ms. Stansbury has handed Mr. Moore's a political weapon and complicated an otherwise sleepy race by coming out for a measure that has little support in Congress and almost certainly would never come to a vote. End quote. And I'm like, no, Dems handed Republicans a political weapon. Republicans will take their weapon and whack Democrats over the head with it. Again, we lose again. And then guess what? They had the election and they counted the votes and Stansbury, the Democrat, clobbered. And I mean, clobbered moors I mean, it was worse than what the Phoenix Suns did to Dennis's beloved Los Angeles Lakers last night. I mean, it was a butt it. Now, why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Just want to make sure you're paying attention. Anyway, Stansbury won by roughly 24 percent of the vote, got over 60 percent of the vote total. In contrast, Joe Biden beat Trump by 23%. So Stansberry did better than Biden. In fact, she did better than Deb Haaland, who won her last congressional election by
2: 16%. I
0: figured I'd open today's New York Times and read a, a kind of a, oops, apology from Martin. Uh, sorry, guys, for misleading me with the wild suggestion that Dems were in trouble. But no, typical reporter. He acted like he had nothing to do with the wild suggestion. Here's what he wrote Today, the morning after, quote, her dominating performance represented an early vote of confidence and Democratic leadership in a heavily Hispanic district and could quiet some anxiety in the party about its prospects going into the 2022 midterm elections And the call. You were the one fueling those anxieties, at least fess up to it. <laughs> God, wait, here's more morning after analysis. Miss Stansbury's victory illustrates that the crime issue alone is insufficient for Republicans to win on in Democratic leading districts, at least when the candidate receives little financial help from the National Party, as was the case with Mr. Moore's, end quote. Youngsters, this is 101 of journalism. The first thing they teach you in journalism school, well, I wouldn't know this because I didn't actually go to journalism school. In fact, I would never even studied journalism. Confession? <laughs> I just dove right into this and made it my career without taking one class. Anyway, first thing they teach you though, first thing you learn in the job is never, ever, ever admit you're wrong. Remember just act as though you didn't write what you in fact wrote the day before. You know, I love your reporters, but you are a trip. Okay. It's not like, you know, People can't just like go back and read what was written the day before. But the the idea, the notion is that nobody bothers to read what was reported the day before because that's what newspapers are all about. That's what the internet is like hour by hour, minute by minute. So nobody reads what was written a minute before. I am now going to defend Mr. Martin, the reporter for the New York Times. Here we go. I bet what happened is that a bunch of Democratic strategists whispered in his ear, we're in trouble. I'm concerned, but don't quote me. It's that crime issue. It's that defund the police message that all those lefties are sending out. It's killing us, but don't quote me. Reporters love it when you give them inside information and then tell you, don't quote me, okay? Then they think, wow, if he doesn't want me to quote him, then this must be really precious inside information that no one else knows. I'm getting a scoop, even though that same operative has probably told 10 other reporters the same thing when the same hour, if you want to get a reporter to quote you, tell him not to quote you. Then they'll weave your words of wisdom into his story or her story as you control them the way a puppeteer controls his puppet. All you have to do to have journalists eating out of your hand is say, Don't quote me. And then the reporter is your little (laughs) plaything. You know, the reality, I've done this many different ways. I've interviewed people for articles, and I've interviewed people on a podcast. I can tell you, by and large, they don't tell you that much different things on the podcast for everybody to hear than they tell you off the record. (laughs) In the interview for the article. But somehow when they go off the record, journalists are like, oh, this is really important, and he trusts me because it's off the record. Well, anyway, enough journalism lessons for the day. The good news is that in New Mexico, crime doesn't pay, at least for MAGA. Michael Moore's and the Republican Party. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed. The Casey is Keena Collins, candidate for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. She's our first guest. Josita Marita, candidate for Cook County Board of Commissioners, will be our second guest. Keena's sitting right here. D, I say we just go right to Keena Collins without a break. What do you let's, say, D? Let's do this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Keena Collins, welcome back to the show.
2: Hey, you guys are looking good for to come out of this pandemic.
0: Yeah, (laughs) well, we're still in
2: it, but you know, you look like you survived, looking healthy.
0: (laughs) I I have, in some ways, you might say, Kina. I have thrived. Kina was my guest on my show um, when we were in at the Sun Times, my beloved bright one, and we had our own comfy little studio. Uh, where everybody was like clustered together i really enjoyed it there was a certain amount of uh, intimacy you might say uh it really encouraged people to be open and just talk and and then afterwards oh my god that's where the real good stuff went down uh we were the chatting but after the show and dennis would be cutting it up but of course uh with the pandemic uh i've moved to my attic dennis has moved it back to his apartment keenness so everything's virtual Uh, So the last time I saw you was in that little studio. So why don't you remind people a little bit about Keena Collins? Yes, you're running for Congress against Danny K. Davis, the incumbent in the 7th Congressional District. Uh, But why don't you remind people about who Keena Collins is, where you come from, and what brings you to this point in uh, your political life? Take it away, Keena Collins.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on again, Ben, because, you know, I always like coming to Chop Up Politics with you. Um, My background is as a community organizer. Both of my parents are union workers. I'm a lifelong Westsider, and I've lived in this district my entire life. Austin is the community that I grew up in. And a lot of my work has been around gun violence prevention, criminal justice reform work, and looking at that through a public health lens. So fighting for things like Medicare for all and, and equity to the access of health care. Um, and so we've been doing that work. Um, I was super blessed and honored to be a part of the cohort of young people here in the city of Chicago that organized direct actions and also um electoral actions after the Laquan McDonald tape was released. And a lot of that informs um, the public policy that I have moved forward, public policy that I've written. And now my me wanting to run for office.
0: Right. And this is the second time you've run for office. Uh, The first time you were on my show would have been before the 2020 uh, primary when you again ran against Danny K. Davis. Uh, So you did not Uh, defeat Danny in that race, obviously. He's still the congressman. Uh, You're a challenger. So what did you learn from that first congressional run that's going to help you in this one?
2: Yeah. You know, what we learned was that um, people were excited and energized for a new leader. We did split the field a little bit with uh, different progressives who were in the race. It was a very difficult race to run in because it was a presidential year. We had... uh, other fellow, the uh, Justice Democrat, Marie Newman, running in her seat, and um, Kim Fox was also running. So there were a lot of, and oh, the fair tax referendum was on the ballot. So when we talk about progressive groups, they were stretched really, really thin in that 2020 primary. Um, so while folks were excited, I, I think the capacity and the bandwidth uh was not completely there, but luckily, you know, Marie Newman was elected. Kim Fox was elected. Um, and a lot of great groundwork was laid for the progressive space.
0: Okay. And, uh, one of the candidates who was running that race, good friend of our show, Anthony Clark, uh, he will not be running in this, uh, primary election. Correct.
2: Yeah. Correct. From what we we've heard, uh, Anthony will not be running.
0: So they that was a split of the younger progressive vote. And and here's the challenge uh, before uh, we get into the specific issues. Uh, but here's the challenge, uh, Keenan, you know this as well if, as anybody, if not better. You're up against a legend in Chicago politics, Danny K. Davis. has been around, elected official since uh, 1979. He was an alderman from the West side, 29th Ward. Uh, Then he was Cook County Board Commissioner. He's been in committeeman. He's been in Congress for many years. I can't remember the first time he got elected, sometime in the 90s. Uh, So it's a well-known name, and Chicagoans have an inclination when they see a well-known name on the ballot for Congress. It's like they can't help themselves. Their hands, they just lose control of their hands, and they have to punch <laughs> the well-known. I'm in Chicago and I'm gonna punch the well-known name. <laughs> That's how Daley got elected year after year for mayor. Right. It's probably what's gonna work for Lori Lightfoot. That's what she's counting on. Anyway, they see the name and they just love the name. So how do you overcome just the power of the incumbency and the power of a well-known name?
2: You know, I think it's such a good question, right? Um, of really, and we talked a lot about this last time, Ben, of how do we engage the electorate um around this this race? Um look, I'm not coming into this naive. I know that Congressman Davis, when he came in, he came in with a progressive track record. But when you've been in Congress for 24 years, you become a part of this entrenched system. And while certain parts of our district have flourished in those 24 years, other parts of this district have been completely left behind. I'm from Austin. Austin has so, so many disparities. But even, you know, the report that was uh, written a few years ago from the New York Times about the life expectancy gap of Streeterville versus Inglewood. Both Streeterville and Englewood are in our district. If you live in Streeterville, a swankier portion of the district, you live to the age of 90. If you travel almost a nine mile radius to the south side of Chicago and Englewood, that life expectancy drops to 60 based off of your zip code. Status quo is not working for us. And when we talk about public school shutdowns, when we talk about lead in the water, when we talk about these communities crumbling right in front of our eyes, a lot of it has to do with failed leadership and failed public policy. And I think that The people who live um, in these neighborhoods can definitely feel that difference um, between our neighborhood and other neighborhoods who don't have to deal with those disparities.
0: So let's talk about some specifics. What are some of the initiatives that a Congresswoman Collins would push for that a congressman, Danny K. Davis, has not pushed for?
2: Well, number one, um, I'm really lucky to live in a grassroots organizing district. Our district is a D plus 38. We are the bluest district in all of the state um, of Illinois. We are one of the most diverse districts in the state of Illinois, and yet we are one of the most unequal districts in the country. And so we are seeing people uh, decade after decade organize in in this district, meaning what I'm going to do different than Congressman Davis is not only not accept corporate money from corporate donors, but I'm also going to make sure that all of these great organizations like the Nonviolence Institute and Mothers on a Mission and other Good Kids, Mass City, these groups that are working really hard to eradicate gun violence and other disparities in the district are not organizing in silos. Um, in my first 100 days, I want to put together a, a health care and life expectancy task force of A panel of experts, public health experts, community organizers, parents, educators, local school council members, people who are engaged in the community so we can come up with these recommendations and I can go to Congress and make the case to bring the federal dollars back to the Illinois 7. So I think the biggest difference between us is how how we would envision ourselves leading in this district and serving as a nucleus for the entire district.
0: What about uh, siding on to some of the more leftist center, to put it mildly, initiatives like Green New Deal and Medicare for all uh, that the traditional mainstream of the Democratic Party sort of pretends do not exist? What's your position on those
2: issues? I think that is high time. I think that COVID-19 really, when when the curtain fell during COVID-19, it crashed down hard and loud. And we saw that all of these things that the progressive space has been ringing the alarm about was exacerbated under COVID-19. And so, um, look, anybody can be an ally. They can stick their political flag in the ground. They can put their name on the letter of support. They can show up to the rally. Right now requires intentional advocacy and and urgent leadership on these issues. And we're, we're just not seeing that in the Illinois setting.
0: What have you, what disappoints you most about Danny Davis? Like what has he not done that leaves you uh, feeling as though he's letting down the cause?
2: Well, you know, I think for me, it's the absence, you know, and it's the taking of corporate dollars. It's the missing votes in Congress that we, we need him to take. Um, One of those votes was for a piece of legislation after the Parkland shooting happened where they were voting on if, Federal dollars should be used for more surveillance in schools, more policing, more working with law enforcement in schools, and we know that's not what we need. We need social workers, we need counselors, we need resources, wraparound services for our students, especially when students like Denigma Howard, the uh, student at Marshall High School who was thrown down a flight of steps by CPD officers and tased, right? We need advocates. I think... One of the the most recent disappointing things that has happened uh, with Congressman Davis is him not standing up to Loretto Hospital. We saw the largest vaccination site, really on the west side of Chicago, in the largest neighborhood in Chicago, in the largest African American neighborhood in Chicago, shut down. And why is that? Then it's because of corruption. People who needed the vaccination, we we know the case studies around African Americans being ravaged under COVID nineteen. There were grandmothers in that in in that area, grandparents, people with pre existing conditions who didn't get vaccinated, and you know who did? CEOs, judges, politicians, and their friends. And that is unacceptable. And when we needed our leaders to step up and say this isn't right, and we need to clean house at Loretto Hospital, they didn't. They didn't do that. And so um, we need a fighter. And this district deserves a fighter. If we are the most progressive district in Illinois, we should have one of the most progressive leaders.
0: I uh, began the show before you uh, came on. I don't know if you heard it uh, talking about uh, the congressional race in New Mexico, where Republicans thought they had the Democrats on the ropes in a district that uh, had gone for Joe Biden uh, by using the defund police issue. And so the Republican candidate, uh, Morris is his name, ran a hard, strong campaign uh, accusing his uh, opponent, Stansbury, of wanting to defund the police. Uh, The New York Times, as I point out, fell for it and uh, was basically predicting a very close race that had Democrats nervous. And then, of course, when they in the aftermath, uh, the uh, Democrat won by, uh, I forget, 24 percentage points. In other words, she clobbered him. Uh, But you've not shied away uh, from... Uh, the need to defund the police or at least uh, r- shuffle around uh, how we spend our money, reallocate uh, how we spend our money. And uh, you alerted me to this. And I thank you for it. I, before we went on there, I read uh, Fox, man. <laughs> Folks, if, if you we love made Fox,
2: it, we made-
0: <laughs> you made it. Folks, if you love Fox worldview, Tina Collins is not your candidate. Okay, man. They ripped her. Tina well, Collins. A lefty is running. Defund the police, Collins. Uh so Fox is already uh rapping you on the knuckles, Keena Collins. I like, go, Oh, she must be doing something, right? Man, I've been at this thing for 40 years. Fox has never ripped me. Um, so you're already ahead of me, Keena Collins. So let's talk about that. You've uh do you run away from the coverage that uh Fox is giving you, or do you stand up for what you believe?
2: You know, I I think as a gun violence prevention advocate, as somebody who's written public policy, who's advocated for and who sat as an executive director for the largest gun violence prevention nonprofit in the state of Illinois, you know, we've been talking about scaling public health models for decades. And the way that the only way that we can fund this is by looking at our budget, the budget, the municipal budget, the state budget, and your federal budget is the moral compass of this This country and uh, wherever you're living. And when we have invested in bloated areas like the military budget, the Pentagon's budget or, you know, policing, we see these disparities widen um, in communities. And so I'm from Chicago. Nobody can confuse me about how we need to stop these shootings in Chicago. The way we stop it is by investing in prevention, not in reacting after tragedy strike. The way that we solve this is by investing in community and putting that as a priority um, at the forefront. So yes, I believe that we should scrutinize the budgets um, that are coming out because these are our tax dollars. When 40% of the Chicago budget is going towards policing. And then we're paying on top of that $1 billion in settlements for wrongful death lawsuits and and torture tactics being used on civilians. We got to ask a serious question about where our tax dollars are going and what do we choose to invest in? And so, um, no, I'm not shying away from that. These ideas of scaling public health models, adding in counselors, adding in social workers in our community, adding in wraparound service and trauma-informed care are very popular. And so um, I know that scares Fox News, but <laughs> um, in our district, you know, that's what we believe in. We, we believe in the investment in community and not more policing,
0: all right, let's go to a little local. I'll ask you about a local issue on this matter. The Police Academy is actually uh, in your congressional district. Uh, it's Emma Mitz Ward, uh, the Alderwoman Emma Mitz 37th Ward. Uh, and that is a, um, a project that began under Rahm Emanuel. Uh, it has been uh, endorsed by Lori Lightfoot. Uh, so the city will be spending, I can't remember how many millions of dollars, much of a TIF dollars, uh, to build a new police academy. uh uh, in an area that used to be i want to say it was a factory i can't remember it's been a while since uh i've been by uh that area when it was uh, wow
2: you're visiting the west side then
0: yeah no i haven't (laughs) i've been going anywhere since uh i'll be honest with you keena Collins. i have not left this house (laughs) since the pandemic um but i can't remember what used to be there anyway neither here nor there uh and i should know because i've written about this several times uh but um so the, uh, the city, in its infinite wisdom, decided to put a police academy there. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot ran against it, uh, it curiously enough. She was critical of it at the very least. Uh, but um, as mayor, uh, she is uh, sticking with it and in fact is trying to win over some community support by adding to it a Boys and Girls Club. So you'll have a police academy on the same general campus uh, with uh, a Boys and Girls Club. So that's the initiative that Lori Lightfoot is proposing uh, to win over uh, community support, continued community support. Keena Collins, your position on the police academy and Mayor Lightfoot. Foot's uh, idea of putting a boys and girls club there?
2: I think that the police academy that was voted on um, and is being built is awful for the west side of Chicago. Um, my announcement yesterday was at Robert Emmett Elementary, one of the four schools in South Austin that was shut down in the largest public school shutdown in American history right here in the city of Chicago. And when we talk about the investment of our young people, it starts with their education. And so as much as people get upset about the phrase defunding the police, I wish that people got that upset when they defunded our education system, when they defunded the mental health facilities here in the city of Chicago, when they defunded the ability to, to protect environmental rights for the black and brown enclaves of the city of Chicago. So this, direction of the money and this constant trying to pull the community together, um, with the Chicago police department is not going to work. If we continue to see, um, abuse and, um, uh, mis- uh, inappropriate behavior happening between the Chicago police department and black and brown neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, in the West side of Chicago, $100 million a year is spent on incarcerating people. So when we talk about where this money is going, it's going in the carceral system um, that is harming black and brown young people in particular. From the mayor's report herself, the My City, My Safety report, gun homicide victims were one to nine times more likely to be shot in their, if they had an interaction with police or had been arrested. So we know that the criminal justice system intersects with gun violence and violence in the community. And so I want, I want to reimagine and reclaim some of the vacant spaces that are on the west side and south side of the city of Chicago and give the community the opportunity to really talk about where they want to place these boys and girls clubs. But I, I don't, I'm not very fond of that plan.
0: So you don't think it's a good idea to put a boys and girls club on the same campus where the police academy is?
2: No, not until we we really build the rapport. There is no rapport between the Chicago Police Department and young Black and Brown people in the city of Chicago historically, mm-hmm. and so you you slapping a Boys and Girls Club in the middle of that, um, and then turning around and we continue to see this abuse happen in our community is sending very conflicting messages to our young people. Um, you. You're vet, investing in the cop academy that's being built on the West side, but we're not even investing in the education system um, here broadly in the Illinois seven congressional district.
0: I just want to let people know that my next guest, Justina Marita has showed up on the virtual uh, uh the virtual reality of my existence. We're going to bring her on in a little bit. I still have Keena Collins with us, uh, but uh, I was when my guests show up uh, early as I uh, already said to Keena Collins. All right, Keena, you have been endorsed by justice Democrats. That's in part why Fox TV just ripped you and again. <laughs> I'll repeat what I said. If, Fox TV represents your worldview. This is probably not the candidate you're going to vote for, <laughs> Keenan Collins, because they just ripped her. Uh, and uh, they ripped her because she was endorsed by Justice Democrats. Be afraid. Be afraid, people. <laughs> All right. Why don't you explain? Uh, I know you have a different view on being endorsed by Justice Democrats. You welcome it. So explain to everybody who, who Justice Democrats are and why you welcomed it and why they endorsed you. Go ahead, Keenan.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Justice Democrats was it it started as a way for communities to nominate candidates who they believe represent them in their their congressional districts and really on the federal level. Um, And they mostly endorse Congress, uh, congressional candidates. Um, So you get nominated and they typically pick non-traditional candidates, people who come from working-class backgrounds and are pushing for working-class values um, in our political system and in our democracy. And so, um, I was nominated by multiple people. Um, the Justice Democrats organization, obviously, you know, was watching the race closely last time, and they liked what they heard from the district and the the, the voters in the district, and they like what they saw last time. And I'm, I'm really honored to have um, received the endorsement.
0: It makes a big deal on the national level. It'll help you with fundraising, no doubt. Uh, and it will draw the interest and the attention of uh, leftist center activists can throughout I, the country.
2: Can Absolutely. I add one more Go thing? Ahead. Justice Democrats uh, was the, the political action committee that helped Representative Ocasio-Cortez, when her seat, um, Cori Bush, and uh, St. Louis, uh, uh, representative Jamal Bowman and Representative Marie Newman here in the Illinois third. And so the candidates that they support are people who are saying that the status quo is failed. It's not working. And um we really get that message out to voters and voters have been agreeing in those yeah. districts.
0: All right. And that's the exact point I was going to make. They're linking you. You will be linked. Uh, in the minds of many activists throughout the country, with AOC, uh, Jamal Bowman, and many other uh, left to center Democrats. So that's a positive. Uh, I will now talk about the reality of running in Chicago and get your reaction. Um, Chicagoans, even the lefties, are very cautious. They call themselves progressives, but I think they should call themselves coshgressives. I just made that word up. They're very afraid of stepping out of line, endorsing somebody that wasn't sent. That's an old saying in Chicago politics. And my lefty, my beloved lefty friends are no different. So stop acting like you are lefties. And so, in the case of Danny K. Davis, they're like, mm, um, "I'm doing my math, and my internal polls show that Danny K. cannot be defeated." So I just think I'll go the safe side. <laughs> I've seen this happen for many, many years. Keena Collins, it's the so voice you make for me. What's that? It's
2: yeah, a voice So you're gonna get all
0: these, all the people outside of Chicago. With these progressive types from New York or Philadelphia or L.A., they'll say, oh, wow, she's been just, endorsed by Justice Democrats. But meanwhile, here in Chicago, those knees are knocking. All those elected officials, they're scared. So how much support, local support, will you have, Keena Collins? And what do you say to those uh, firebrand progressives? who so stand up for all the issues of the day, but <clears throat> I don't want to stick my neck out for this one. Go ahead, Keena Collins.
2: I say that, that Chicago voters and voters in the western suburbs are ready for a new generation of leadership. They're ready for people to speak to the vested interests of the community, but they're ready for people who are qualified to. And so my background serves as somebody who has stood on the front lines of protest, but have also um, been in the public policy rooms and has swayed and moved that policy uh, forward on the state level. And that was such a distinguishing factor for me as a candidate in the last election cycle. People were really impressed that we were talking about healthcare, we were talking about taxes, we were talking about infrastructure. So we're not giving fluff on our campaign. We're really talking about the issues and then we're backing it up with my qualifications. But um, we're really proud to accept um, endorsements from several indivisible chapters across the district. Of course, we have the national support of Justice Democrats. Women's March, um, Illinois has come out. Um, they're really going to be boots to the ground with us. And then we've had several um, youth climate movement groups coming out to endorse the campaign. And so In our district, which is really interesting, is that we're a plurality African-American district, but there's not one demographic that can win this race outright, meaning we have to build the Rainbow Coalition. And that's exactly what we're getting ready to do um, in this election cycle. But most importantly, Ben, I just think that the electorate wants to be excited. They want to feel excited about a candidate who's going to talk about these issues and like I said, you don't need to sit in a seat for 24 years to say we need strong public schools. We need to clean the lead out of the water and we need to make sure that everyone has full access to quality health care.
0: All right. Very good. I'm going to give you a I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen if you are victorious. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. This will happen. And when it happens, you go, man, that old Ben knew what he was talking about. The day after if let's say you were uh, you're successful, and you beat Danny K. Davis and, and you're the nominee. All these elected officials Who didn't support you Will be calling you up uh, Keena what you really don't know is behind the scenes I was doing a lot of things on your behalf <laughs> I wish I was a fly on the wall To hear these conversations uh, Keena I really Really was impressed with your campaign uh, Can we do a public appearance together Anyway Keena that's how <laughs> it goes Can't take it personal um, Any closing thoughts before I say goodbye to you and bring uh, Justina Marina on
2: no, but I'm so excited that you have Josina on. She's doing a lot of great environmental uh, work. We are rooting for Josina. Um, I am super excited for this election. Um, we know that it's going to be a slog. We are asking everybody to be bolder in this midterm to really probe us, to ask the tough questions, and. Our mission is very simple. We want to make sure that racial, economic, and social equity and justice is pushed to the forefront around public policies. And even if you've never voted before, we're talking to you. And so um, thank you, Ben, for having me on. I heard the news from about Hannah. Someone's going to be a granddad soon.
0: Oh, grandpa.
2: Grandpa Benny J. <laughs> yeah.
0: By the way, I got All all right. I, last time she was on the show, we talked about this at Lane. So I might as well, i uh, let the cat out of the bag. That's bad <laughs> uh, no, not about my daughter, but okay. uh, many, many years ago, Akina Collins, when she was uh, much younger uh, and in high school, went to the same high school as my uh, oldest daughter. And my oldest daughter is actually, what, you know, like your uh, gym leader or something like that.
2: My PE leader.
0: Yeah. It's such a trip. And she it's- was
2: in African-American club.
0: Yes. My daughter daughter was in the African American club. And um, (laughs) true story. Uh, And uh, so, anyway, uh, I just have this vision of my daughter telling Keena Count, do sit ups, Keena, which probably didn't happen at all. (laughs) Um,
2: She was great. She was great.
0: I just wish I could go back in time and see the African American club circa 1908 or whatever.
2: I have some uh, photos of Hannah on International Day at Von Steuben, which shout out to Von Steuben, my high school, where she has some kente cloth wrapped around her. (laughs) I have the photographic evidence. So uh, my girl has been true from day one. And (laughs) still fighting the really, really good fight. I'm so excited and congratulations to your whole family and yes um, thank, you. thank you for having me on ben I'm, I'm really ready to do this and we are excited and um yeah thank you for having me
0: all right one last thing let's okay. spell the name uh so folks want to find your info on the internet and want to read that better best of all go read the fox story <laughs> the, the, the fox rip keena collins and <laughs> may win over a lot of voters in the seventh congressional I don't know what they think they were doing by ripping Keenan Collins. I mean,
2: it was like a, a free press uh, yeah. release for us. But um, no, uh, yes, every week we were really fortunate to have a lot of national press yesterday from the Washington Post to CNN covering it. So we're really bringing the energy. People are going to be looking at this primary, which is broadly the city of Chicago, which is great, right before this municipal election, right? Mm-hmm. To see where the electorate is and the things that are important to them. Um, you can find Find information out about our campaign at KenaCollins.com. That's K-I-N-A, last name Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Um, So thank you. Right. And I'm looking forward to connecting with everybody.
0: Alright, that's Kena Collins, thank you so much Kena Collins, uh, Josina Morita is with us, we're going to bring her on, we're take a brief break allow me to take a breath switch gears, we'll be talking about uh, Josina's uh, candidacy for the Cook County Board of Commissioners from my beloved town of Evanston, but also she's going to go ban it's Skokie too, alright, Skokie slash Evanston, I love them both uh, and all the issues that she will be uh, raising in her campaign, we're going to take a brief break <laughs> My next guest, uh, Justina Marita, Morita, uh, is running for. Well, she's currently on the Water Reclamation Board, and she is running for Commissioner uh, of the Cook County Board. Uh, as I said, in, in a district that encompasses Evanston and Skokie, so just and the welcome. north
3: side of Chicago, 49th and, and 50th wards, yes, and New Trier Township.
0: I how could I forget New Trier? My our rivals when I was in high school. God, I couldn't <laughs> stand it. That's probably why I did it, Jocena. Like, I don't even I want know. to mention you, You know what? She's got to represent. She'll represent you, Nutria, even if Ben Badmouths you. Uh, Nutria right.
3: has finally turned blue. So
0: yes, no, it has turned. Good for you, Nutria. Better late than never. Uh, and it's been blue for a while. Let's be let's be fair to Nutria Trevian's out there. You guys have been blue for at least. I want to say the Al Gore uh, election of 2000. I think I better don't even
3: your beloved Evanston used to be red.
0: Yes. But that was so long ago. Well, actually I was alive and in Evanston, I moved to Evanston it was still uh, a, uh, a Republican area. And then in 1972, the big change occurred with Abner when a guy named Abner Mikva, may he rest in peace, ran for Congress the first time and he brought over, uh, he ran for Congress the first time in Evanston and brought over a lot of Evanstonians to the Democratic Party. And in her own way, uh, Justina Morita is part of that. Um, But I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, Justina. Uh, Let's talk a little bit, introduce you to my listeners. First time been on the show. Um, And I always tease you, I've only known you for about a week and I've teased you mercilessly in that week that you actually left California to move uh, to Chicago. Most people do it the other way around, uh, but uh, you have come from the land of sunshine uh, to Chicago. So talk about the move to Chicago, why you stayed and what makes you want to stay. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, no, I'm a bit of a glutton. I grew up in the Bay Area, you know, the progressive panacea. Um, my parents were activists at UC Berkeley, part of third world strike. Um, so I grew up in a very social justice family. Um, but, uh, in the summers I would work at a group called applied research center now called race forward that publishes color lines magazine. And after college, they offered me a job to move to Chicago and help start the Chicago office. I worked out of the center for neighborhood technology office for two years, um, for applied research center. I uh, thought I would be in Chicago for a year maybe, you know, two years, uh, 20 years later, I'm still here and I love it.
0: What is it about this area that, uh, holds you,
3: you know, Chicago is just a real city, um, you know, coming from the Bay area, you know, again, we love as progressives to praise ourselves, but we had just as much, you know, racism, structural inequality here in the Bay area, but we just had more sophisticated language to kind of cover it up. Right. And, you know, moving to Chicago, you know, just has such a working class identity, the realness of the racism. You know, I'd rather people just tell me I'm racist, you know, um, than to, you know, give you all this kind of platitudes, but, you know, behind your back. So I've always loved that the history of Chicago organizing, um, you know, so much racial justice work um, came out of Chicago. Um, I love the, you know, I always call Chicago, Chicago nationalist. No other city has a flag, um, that they fly everywhere. And, you know, we can fight about North side, South side, Cubs socks, But at the end of the day, you come for anybody in my city, you're coming for family. Um, and I love that about Chicago.
0: All right. Now let's talk about your uh, campaign and, uh, you're doing something that I'm, I'm going to applaud you for. Uh, and I don't know if I talked to you about this or right about, it, so I've talked to other people about you, uh, you're upfront about what you want to do. Uh, you're a woman who's upfront about what she wants to do. I talked, had many conversations about this, Jocena, in 2018, when I was urging women to run for governor, and we had all these conversations. And the standard response from women is, "I'm not ready. Uh, I have all these other applications I got to meet. When the time comes, I'll run." The standard response from a man on this thing is like. I was born ready. I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> even <laughs> yeah, if they're not ready to begin with.
3: On average, a woman has to be asked seven times before she'll decide to run for office. Where men, it's zero or even negative two You know, they can be told not to run and they still run.
0: <laughs> Wait, time out. Is, somebody did a study. I missed that. Somebody yeah. Did a study? A,
3: people have done research on this and women on average need to be asked seven times. So I'll sit down with women and I'll ask them seven times in one lunch just to get it over with, you know.
2: <laughs>
0: that's pretty funny uh but in your case you're i just had uh i've had like two uh bold women on the show kina collins nobody asked her to run and she ran because she thinks she's the best candidate uh and she's going up against the legend and danny k davis so it's an uphill battle but i, I give her a lot of credit for ha- being fearless uh, going after something she wants and believes in, in your case, uh, what I like about what you did was when uh, you were ready to go hit the ground running when the incumbent said he wasn't going to run as opposed to letting all these, everybody else outmaneuver you talk about the, Larry suffered in not running and your decision to run. Go ahead.
3: Larry's been a mentor. Um, you know, I think he's actually, you know, been a great County commissioner. He's and a number of things, including minimum wage that I helped organize at the local level, to get Skokie was one of the few municipalities that didn't opt out. Um, But, you know, he's talked about uh, potentially retiring for a while. And to be frank, it's the only other seat in politics that I would be interested in at this time. You know, I love water rec, uh, being able to go to my environmentalist kind of conservation roots and bring an equity uh, land use lens to it. Um, But I'm not interested in Springfield, not interested in DC, Cook County, for me, is a great fit. My background, even though people know me as an environmentalist uh, because of water rec, was doing criminal justice, juvenile justice reform for 20 years um, here in Chicago, worked on, you know, treatment over incarceration, incarceration, juvenile expungement, worked on prison-based gerrymandering issues. Um, So it's a great fit for me to be able to continue the environmental work uh, at the Forest Preserves, um, work on criminal juvenile justice at a really exciting time with, you know, uh, the Pretrial Fairness Act uh, passing earlier this year, having Tony and Kim Fox, um, a new generation of young progressive people of color um, on the county board. And then, you know, one thing that you know, I chair the Asian American Caucus, uh, one thing that we've worked a lot on over the last year through COVID is realizing that so much of our healthcare system doesn't know how to access. Um, and reach smaller communities like Asian American communities that are linguistically isolated. Um, So I think there's also a lot of work to be done to ensure that our our Cook County health and hospital system is, is, you know, being able to reach those smaller communities.
0: One of the initiatives, some of the younger uh, members of the Cook County Board, I'm thinking Brandon Johnson right now, uh, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson is to shuffle around. They don't I don't know if we're allowed to say defund the police anymore or we we'll get struck down by lightning, although it did not hurt uh, Melanie Stansberry uh, in New Mexico. I'll point out one more time. She defeated her Republican opponent. Uh, but uh, so reshuffle, reallocate, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Cook County board money away from the jail, away from incarceration, Uh, towards more proactive measures to keep people from being going down the wrong path in the first place. Uh, Your position on all these movements by uh, Johnson and the other lefties go ahead.
3: I think that's right. I mean, you know, so as an organizer, I used to work with young people and one summer we worked on what is the definition of violence, you know, and they said the definition of violence in our community is the absence of anything else, right? It's the absence of good schools. It's the absence of opportunity. It's absence of hope. Right. And so if we really want to transform the system, we have to reinvest in a way that provides those alternatives. Right. Um, So, you know, what does it mean? We always say budget is a values document. So what does it mean when we spend seventy thousand dollars a year to incarcerate a juvenile, but only six to educate a juvenile? Um, Right. So I think we have to put our money where our values are and that means reinvesting um in opportunities and education and job training programs and infrastructure reinvesting in communities in a way that gives them hope so that there is an alternative we can't just continue to punish um you know young people and you know expect a different outcome
0: this is a recurring uh, conversation on our show um how to define these positions, Uh, defund the police. Uh, Many of my guests come on and go, it's a terrible slogan. Uh, It undercuts us. Uh, It's a useful tool for Republicans. I was uh, talking before you came on about the uh, congressional election in New Mexico where Melanie Stansbury was running against a gentleman named Morris, a Republican who was running hard on her because she had once been uh, linked to a defund the police movement and the Republicans thought they could actually win. Uh, in that district by running hard on the issue of defund the police. Fox TV is bashing her, much like they're bashing Keenan Collins already uh, in the seventh congressional here in Illinois. And lo and behold, uh, the election occurs yesterday, Chesina and Stansbury wins decisively by over 24% of the vote. Uh, So what lessons do you take from that regarding uh, the notion of defunding police as a useful tactic for Republicans to use against Democrats?
3: Well, I think we have to tell the truth, right? I think we have to tell the truth about uh, what we're for as well as what we're against. You know, I think every, you know, context is different, um, but I think that that's a lesson that it's it can work um, and that if you educate people about what it really means, uh, right, it's not just about the slogans, it's about the education um, and really explaining what is the problem, what is the solution, how are we going to get there? Um, you know, so I think it's important here, you know, to talk about, Not just what we're against, but also what we're for and what are we going to get from that Uh, for people to really understand what does that reinvestment mean? What does it look like and what does that look like over generations? Right. We're talking about transforming an entire system here. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but we have to start moving in, in the right direction.
0: Well, I can guarantee you that whoever your Republican opponent, uh, it will be, if you are the nominee for the Democrats, that that person will slam you with defund the police. Uh, They that's, they'll think it's a useful tool in Skokie Evanston, New Trier and the North side of Chicago.
3: Right. It's become the right They're the usual right-wing attacks. It's taxes. It's that, you know, all these, you know, they just have their regular kind of talking points against Democrats and progressives and, it just comes with the territory. And again, our job is to educate and engage people about what we're really about.
0: All right, let's talk about some practical issues of investment uh, in these communities. And particularly, I'm thinking of my beloved downtown Evanston. I told you already, <laughs> I, I went to Evanston High School. Uh, I have a strong allegiance to that town. I haven't lived there since the 70s, but I still love it very much From the my wildest. The People's Wild
3: Republic Kits. of Evanston. Yes, the People's sure. Republic.
0: But folks, I got to tell you, It's not that radical, Evanston, okay? They're pretty mainstream progressives, if such a thing exists, a mainstream progressive. Uh, But yes, the People's Republic. Usually they say that about Oak Park, the People's Republic of Oak Park. We say that about
3: Berkeley, too, where I grew
0: up. It really applies to Berkeley. Uh, I'm not sure it applies to... Anyway, I'm not even sure it applies to Berkeley, either. Uh, But uh, Evanston was hit hard by the pandemic. And Evanston's not alone. A lot of towns outside. Uh, Chicago was hit hard by the pandemic. If you go through uh, Evanston, you see a lot of shuttered shops at downtown. The movie theater, they had a very a flourishing movie theater in downtown Evanston that they paid for with TIF dollars, Evanston TIF dollars. Uh, that's closed. Uh, that closed during the pandemic and has not reopened. So what are your general ideas? i just seen it by using whatever uh, authority or powers or finances that the Cook County board has to help stimulate uh, the redevelopment of communities like downtown Evanston.
3: Well, I think that there's tools that we have in terms of economic development. I don't think people normally think of Cook County in terms of economic development, Um, but there is a economic development uh, department at at Cook County. And I think there's some work that can be done to support small businesses. We have, um, you know, again, a little bit transitioning from my water rec hat to, uh, county Board, we have this huge infrastructure bill um, coming down the pike um, that will be going to local communities to invest in infrastructure. I think you know, right? There's downtown Evanston. There's also the rest of Evanston um, that still needs a lot of investment in infrastructure. Um, you know, and to really push an equity approach to how that money comes down the pike. And you know, the one nice thing about Evanston and a lot of the communities that are in the 13th district is there is such a a pride a local pride and, and kind of a a local economy where everything you need, you can get in Evanston, anything you need, you can get in Skokie. Um, you know, and so that's the nice thing is that people really take pride in shopping locally. Um, you know, we did a number of initiatives, actually the Asian American caucus did a a supporting black women owned businesses. We raised over $7,000 in one day in revenue for black women owned businesses, uh, providing free local delivery in Evanston. Um, with uh, Jennifer's edibles. That's been giving a lot of, um, you know, free meals through the pandemic. So I think there's also, I think you, if you look at kind of the things that I've done, I think about what can I do on the government side, but also what can I do with my platform, um, to engage people and be creative, um, to, to meet the needs.
0: By the way, uh, I've never heard anybody say the People's Republic of Skokie. I just want to throw that out there. I did not say that. (laughs) No, I know you (laughs) didn't. I just was thinking about People's Republic of Evanston, Oak Park, and Berkeley. But I think Skokie probably votes as lefty or liberal or whatever you want to call it as Evanston does. Well,
3: and again, kind of talking about, you know, coming from Berkeley, there's a lot of the kind of intellectual progressiveness in in Evanston. But Skokie is a very working class um, town with, with really good progressive values. I mean, you know, my husband and I, my husband's lived in Skokie for almost 25 years. Um, you know, I've lived there for almost 10 years now. Uh, it is a, a a very progressive place. Uh, you know, we have some of the strongest protections for undocumented um, families in Skokie. We had, we were one of the, we're one of the only uh, municipalities that has a, its own public health core. So we were prepared uh, for a pandemic response. Uh, we have incredible park district, uh, programs, uh, for, you know, low income families. And we were one of the few municipalities that chose not to opt out of the minimum wage. And so we have a very active community. We had a, uh, support for black lives, uh, rally there during the pandemic with over a thousand people. No.
0: Skokie's awesome, but they also have the world's greatest public library, in my humble opinion. We do, yeah. and
3: it's a few blocks from my house.
0: Yeah, it's a really great public library. I'll be nice to Skokie Public Library. I hope that they let me check out more and free books on my uh, library, Chicago library card. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, you mentioned uh, in passing, uh, before we began the show, uh, the anti-Asian uh, um, hate bill. Uh, and uh, my dear, our dear friend uh, Lenny uh, Mana Hoppenworth would not allow me uh, to get through this uh, interview. Uh, love you, Lenny. Uh, without asking you about it, very important legislation. Talk about it. Your role in the passing in and what it will do. Go ahead.
3: Well, shout out to Lenny first of all for all the work that she does. It's been you know great to have a whole team of you know progressive Asian American activists, especially over this last year. Um, you know we've seen a rise in anti-Asian hate. Uh, Hate crimes have actually, you know, we've had about over almost 7,000 reported hate crimes across the country in just the last year. And, you know, a lot of that stems from the last four years of Trump, you know, China virus, Kung flu, um, scapegoating of China as a country and its politics and economy, but also scapegoating of Asian Americans um, here in Chicago, across the country. So we've seen a rise in anti-Asian hate. It's, you know, It's been a difficult time. And so I think that, um, you know, it's I chair the Asian American Caucus just five years ago, Ben, we had zero Asian Americans in any kind of significant office. All nine of us who are members of the caucus now were not elected five years ago. So to see the progress that we've made and to be able to be leaders, visible leaders for our own community, as well as the broader community um, over the last year has been really important to stand up against anti-Asian hate, but also to stand with black lives and make those connections um, of solidarity over the last year has been really important. And we yeah, we just saw uh, the anti-Asian hate uh, bill pass in Congress. We this weekend just uh, passed the Teaching Equitable Asian American Community History Act out of the General Assembly, awaiting the governor's signature. We will become the first state in the country to require Asian American history in K through 12 public schools. You know, when people say, "What can you do about anti-Asian hate?" One of the biggest things that we can do uh, is to educate ourselves and educate others. And so it's really exciting to think that there's going to be a whole generation that my kids are a part of that actually know something about Asian American history Um, beyond just the model minority myth and beyond the talking points in media, really understanding the history. I'm sixth generation Chinese American. My family was targeted by the Chinese Exclusion Act. Fifth generation Japanese American. My 96 year old grandma, who's on the other side of this door, was in the internment camps. Um, You know, so... A lot of this anti-Asian hate, while it's new to people right now after the Atlanta shootings, is not new to us as Asian-Americans. And for the first time, it'll really become much more mainstream and taught in public schools.
0: Do you uh, have you yourself noticed uh, an uptick in hostility from just ordinary passerbys uh, since the election of Trump, since uh, the pandemic hit?
3: Absolutely. I mean, you know, just walking down the street, you can feel it. Um, Even in Skokie, even in, you know, areas, Skokie's 30% Asian. Um, People don't realize that Skokie is one of the highest percentage Asian areas um, in the state of Illinois. The 16th house district is the highest percentage Asian district in the state general assembly. Um, But yeah, you feel it. And it's, you know, you, you can hear the ching chongs, you know, things that I remember from my childhood, Um, But, you know, kind of going into organizing and going into progressive workspaces, you kind of live in a bubble. Right. Uh, But through the pandemic, you know, definitely, you know, heard the kind of, you know, rhetoric of like, you know, coronavirus is your fault. You're the reason we have to wear a mask, you know, to the ching chongs, um, you know, to just kind of more aggressive behavior. You can just kind of feel the hostility and resentment, you know, outside, you know, walking down the street, you know. So you can feel it. I actually, somebody came up to me. We hosted a number of vigils after the Atlanta shooting and somebody came up to me, you know, older gentleman, Chinese and Japanese American guy. He said, it's the first time I've ever felt like a target. Um, and so it's been a, it's a been a big awakening for Asian Americans, mm-hmm. um, not just the general public about anti-Asian hate. You know, I think a lot of us have, you know, found a way to kind of grit our teeth and shrug off the comments, but, um, you know, to get as blatant as it has been, and we've seen a rise in hate crimes here locally, um, you know, of people being attacked at the Botanic garden at Bunker Hill in front of H Martin, downtown Chicago. Um, so we see it, we feel it. And when it happens to people, you know, it's hard.
0: I have a tendency to blame everything on Trump. And I think he has a huge role, uh, in stirring all this stuff up, but, it may have just ripping off uh, a scab on a wound. If you get what I'm saying, that it was always there.
3: And he just. uh, I think it's been there for a long time. And again, it's, there's always been this idea that anti-Asian racism is somehow less egregious, less urgent, less violent than other forms of racism. Um, And I think that there's always been kind of this um, acceptance almost of anti-Asian racism as acceptable and um, you know, we can more manageable. Um, and I think that the Atlanta shootings really kind of showed what anti-Asian violence does look like in this country. And, um, you know, appreciate all of the calls and, and texts and people who've reached out. And I mean, I say, I was saying, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's Asian American heritage month. I think I've done over 25 panels yeah. this month um, about anti-Asian hate, but I appreciate it. it's an opportunity as a responsibility um, as an Asian American elected official to, Take this moment as a teaching moment.
0: Well, speaking of hate toward minority groups, I'm going to raise this subject, the column I wrote ago, about a week ago about the silence uh, coming from the left regarding anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish, i always call it, anti-Jewish uh, acts of violence, uh, Jews being beaten up in uh, Los Angeles, New York, synagogues being defaced. Uh, and uh, I'm very disappointed. With my beloved lefties, uh, Josina, very quiet, very silent. not quite sure how it fits into their narratives. Uh, worried about a backlash from Twitter, Uh, you know, uh, as though if they speak up against uh, a Jewish guy getting beat up, somehow it's other. they're like uh, deserting the Palestinian cause, very important issue, obviously. Uh, So your thoughts on uh, the issue of anti-Jewish reactions and attitudes uh, in this country?
3: No, I mean, I see it too. I mean, I I read your article and I see a rise in, hate period across the country, in large part due to the last four years of Trump. And I've seen the rise in anti-Jewish, anti-Black, anti-Asian, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBT, everything. Um, and I think we have to continue to call it out when we see it. I think, you know, your article talks about people say, well, it's, it's too complicated. Um, well, everything is a bit complicated, and that's part of our responsibility, something that we're supposed to take pride in as lefties, to be complicated, Um, And to think these things through, but there's certain things like, you know, direct attacks on, um, you know, Jewish communities, direct attacks on Asian American communities. You know, we talk about solidarity um, and it has to be there. But I think that it is harder um, and I think it applies to anti-Asian hate, too. I think it is harder for people to always wrap their head around how to deal with racism when it's not just black and white. Um, And, you know, I think it's become more popular Um, and under, you know, grasp, you know, people are able to grasp black Brown much more over the last decade, but then you go further down the spectrum to Asian Americans, to Jewish Americans. And it's still hard, I think, for people to kind of dissect some of those complications, especially for, uh, anti-Jewish hate, because, you know, it's intertwined with whiteness, um, and intertwined with the sense of privilege, same with Asian-Americans, people think, oh, well, because you're, you know, segments, because I would say it's a myth, segments of the Asian-American population are economically doing well. That somehow that makes them, uh, you know, you know, able to take the hate, um, you know, and so I think that it is more complicated and it's something that we have to challenge ourselves on the left to to be able to work through is that. Uh, within whiteness um, that there and within privilege that, you know, racism and hate still, there still has to be a line um, and we still have to speak up.
0: Yeah. Well said. Uh, I also want to just take a moment to point out that not not all, uh, not all Jewish Americans are quote unquote white and the conventional
3: uh, definition
0: of white. I just want to point that out. Uh, Come on lefties. You could be like Josina. You could do it. All right. Lefties. Don't be so scared of Twitter. All right, uh, let's move away from these contentious, difficult issues and talk about something uh, that maybe not be as as contentious. Uh, You mentioned in passing uh, before you came on the show that you're part of a group called the Mamas Caucus. Uh, And so um, I had never heard of the Mamas Caucus uh, until you mentioned to me, but it's a pretty cool entity. Explain uh, to our listeners what the Mamas Caucus is.
3: Yeah, so in 2018, I had my first baby, Uh, I became the first commissioner at MWRD to ever have a baby while in office in 130 years. And things that I thought were going to be kind of straightforward, maternity leave, pumping during board meetings, um, were not so easy and not so pretty all the time. Um, And so I reached out to other elected officials who were also young moms, just to initially on a personal level, like, how are you dealing with this stuff? Did you get maternity leave? I didn't get maternity leave for my first baby, um, had to pass it, um, in between babies and got it for my second baby. Um, and we realized, man, like if this is how we as elected officials, um, are being treated, um, and having to, these are the issues that we're having to deal with. How are the average moms dealing with this stuff? And we said, you know, like, look, yeah, we have a women's caucus. We have Asian American caucus. We have a black caucus. We need our own caucus, uh, to be able to, Come up with platform issues to be able to move agendas, to be able to respond uh, to mom issues, especially through this pandemic. We've seen over two million women leave the workforce through the pandemic. They say we're back to 1980s numbers. The, a huge number of those are moms, um, and the moms that I talk to are not planning on going back. Um, you know, and a lot of the things that we fought for as moms—you know, flex time, uh, remote working all these things that we were told were impossible for the last forever are now the norm. And so how do we, as mom elected officials use our platforms and our respective bodies? So we're the mama's caucus. Isn't just the general assembly or the county it's all of we're MWRD County board, city council, um, general assembly. And how are we each of us able to use our respective platforms and our respective bodies to put stronger protections and supports from paid sick leave to affordable childcare, to non-discrimination, to maternity leave lactation rooms. I mean, it's 2021 and we just got lactation rooms at the state Capitol a few years ago. Um, one of the most public buildings in the state, not just for elected officials for anybody, the public. Um, and so these are things that we felt like were very timely. Um, so there's a multiple levels to it. One is just support, and you know, mom elected to mom elected. I mean, we have uh, bi monthly. We call it bi monthly post bedtime happy hour zooms, <laughs> where the moms, the kids are down. We got our glass of wine <laughs> um, uh, on Zoom, and we you know we chatted out, uh, and we come up with policy ideas. We launched on May first with a, a statewide town hall uh, with a few hundred moms from across the state to kind of hear their stories and come up with ideas of what our platform is going to be moving forward. But we're the first in the country. I can't believe it. Um, 2021, never had a caucus of moms. So we're excited. We've been reached out to from mom electeds in other States who are thinking about doing the same thing. Um, but we're excited about the potential of what this can be.
0: You know, and it's sort of we're ending where anywhere we began, uh, because, uh, many of the, um, reasons cited uh, from um, really qualified uh, women candidates that I've talked to down the years. Well, my kids need me. Uh, I can't run now because uh, my, my child is at a vulnerable stage and I have to be there for her or him, et cetera. And so I've heard this before. I've never heard this from a man.
3: No, you don't hear it from (laughs) men. Right. Because, you know, and we, we joke in the mama's caucus, like we're all feminists. Right. And our husbands are even feminists but it doesn't change a lot of the expectation yeah. um, and the roles and the family, you know, even as much as you try to make things 50, 50, it just is not like that. Um, you know, and even if you actually in real life have things 50, 50, the mom guilt, um, the expectations of others, you know, when we're running for office, people are like, where are your kids? Who's taking care of your kids? Um, you know, how can you run with kids? You know, you're ba- basically like, you know, how can you be a good mom and run for office at the same time? Um, and so it's, it's a generational change, too, because, yeah, the most of the moms who are older in the General Assembly who've been there for a decade or two, they, they went into political office after their kids were older. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a generation where myself, Anna Valencia, just had you know, children in office. Margaret Croke had a child in the middle of her contentious campaign. Um, so the same way like for other generations, maybe kids were the reason not to run for office isn't run for office as much as it is harder. Um, it's also why we know it's so important. And, and studies have shown, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, when moms, even, you know, after they've had kids and their kids are older, they, they don't advocate on the issues that young moms of young kids face nearly as hard as the, the moms who are actually living it. Um, you know, once you're a little bit removed, uh, the studies show that, Um, you know, you don't fight as hard for maternity leave. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were moms on my board who weren't so sure we needed maternity leave.
0: Yeah. And that's something. Yeah. If it doesn't impact them directly, by the way, I want to correct something I said about three minutes ago before you went on that great uh, riff. uh, Just I said, I've never heard a man say his family is a reason he couldn't run for office. But I just remember as soon as I said, it, I go, Oh, wait a minute. I remembered it. Uh, This is probably before your time politically. Tom Dart, who's the cook County sheriff. I want to say in 2011, uh, 2010, after uh, Richard M. Daly left. Oh my God, Justina, I am such a geek. I can remember stuff like this. Um, I when love uh, R- Richard M. Daly left. I uh, can't take it anymore. Rahm maneuvered his way into running. Uh, Tom Dart. A lot of people looked at Tom Dart. To I do again. remember
3: that now. Said, yeah. I have, all, about I have a kids. lot of
0: kids. Yeah. And I remember uh, this t- is uh, actually underscores the point. All the jaded political observers in the know, you know, political types, reporter, tell, well, come on, what a what a lame excuse. He's just chicken. Rom scared him out. Rom was probably going around, I I scared him out. By the way, Rom had three kids. You didn't see. He hit, Rom not running for office because he had three young kids at home. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I take the man seriously. And I forget how many kids they were. Yeah. you know,
3: and it's a reality for me too. I mean, as. You know, as much as it's why I run for office, it's why I'm interested in county board and not the general assembly and not Congress is because I want to be able to do both. Um, Maybe that sounds a little naive, but I want to be able to be a good elected official and a good mom to do good policy and be there for my kids as they grow up. My kids are two and a half and one. Um, You know, if anything I've learned over this last pandemic is that I do love being home with them. And seeing all of the micro changes and being there for every developmental, you know, milestone. Um, And I don't want to have to choose between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's my personal choice. Um, And I support moms who don't want to run for office. I support moms who want to run for office and be in D.C. Um, All of that should be possible.
0: All right, Justine Marita, I want to thank you very much. And by the way, I could testify that uh, her kids are not afraid to speak up because in our pre-show meeting, I heard that kid. <laughs> <laughs> that kid was like, Ma,
3: what are you talking that about? We're a reporter?" She was born the day that we went to shelter in place.
0: Is that right?
3: She's lived her, she's 15 months, she's lived her entire life in, in quarantine.
0: Whoa, that is deep but she's going to get out now. Uh, I don't even know what the rules are. Oh God, I'm so embarrassed admitting I don't know something, but about when, h- how young, how or how old do you have to be before you can get uh, vaccinated uh, for COVID? Do you know? The,
1: right
3: now they're saying, uh, right now it's available for 12 and over. Um, but the, what I've heard is that they may be available for as young as two um, by the end of the year. We're still waiting to hear.
0: Well, every young parent I know, and I know a bunch. They ain't playing. If you haven't had the shot, don't come near my kid. You know that's it's just bad. not worth
3: it. I mean, yeah. you know, we're mama bears, right? And we're like, you know, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would love for my kid. You know, my kid. Every time we go to the park, he sees another kid. He goes, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> or he's like, they don't have a mask. You know. <laughs>
0: But the reason I'm laughing, folks, is that you should see Josina. She did like a Dikembe matumbo, who was <laughs> a great basketball player, where waves her finger. She was like, that's, no, That's no. what, the,
3: that's what Kai, 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 my two-year-old, he waves his finger. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> I love the no, no, no. I'm going to start uh, using that and stealing your best ideas. No one will know. <laughs> all right, Josina, thank you so much for taking the time. Best of luck to you and uh, the campaign. Bring you back. Talk about all the issues because you're a great guest. All right.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, that's Jessina Marita. Morita. Uh, she's running for uh, county board in Skokie, Evanston, New Trier Township, and the north side of Chicago. She, she corrected me when I said Evanston, Skokie. It's, the district is larger than that. I also want to thank Keena Collins, who's running. Uh, she was our earlier guest. She's running for Congress in the seventh congressional. Yeah, she's taking on Danny K. Davis. Come on, youngsters. <laughs> I don't know. Denny K. Davis has been around a long time Uh, I think that the little competition will probably Be good for him Uh, So uh, Keena Collins, best of luck to her And thank her for being a great guest And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend The pride of Jordan, Illinois, without whom the show is impossible And as Keena Collins and Justina will tell you Back home in Alton They call him Dr. Doobie Yes, that's what they do They call him Dr. Doobie (laughs) Give yourself a raise Take it out of petty cash See you tomorrow, everybody